This is Laura London, and you're listening to Speaking of Jung. Joining us today for Episode 60 is Jungian analyst and lecturer, Dr. Mark Sabin in Oxford, England. He earned his undergraduate degree in classics from Pembroke College at the University of Oxford, and recently completed his Ph.D. in psychosocial and psychoanalytic studies at the University of Essex, where his supervisors were noted Jungian scholars Roderick Main and Matt Fitch. He worked for 20 years as a performer and writer in theater, television, and film, appearing in the TV series The Les Dennis Laughter Show and Berkeley Square, and in the movies Privileged and Shakespeare in Love. He later went on to train as a Jungian analyst with the independent group of analytical psychologists in London. He is currently a senior Jungian analyst, registered with the United Kingdom Council for Psychotherapy and the International Association for Analytical Psychology. He works as a lecturer in Jungian and post-Jungian studies in the Department of Psychosocial and Psychoanalytic Studies at the University of Essex in England. In 2017, he was a panelist at the historic Who is My Jung conference at the British Library in London. It was the first time all five London societies with IAAP-accredited training programs came together. Dr. Sabin has published numerous papers and book chapters and is co-editor of Analysis and Activism, Social and Political Contributions of Jungian Psychology, along with fellow Jungian analysts Amelia Keel and Andrew Samuels. It was nominated for a Gradiva Award for Best Edited Book and was a finalist for the American Board and Academy of Psychoanalysis Book Prize. His book chapters include Ambiguating Jung in How and Why We Still Read Jung, Personal and Professional Reflections, edited by Jean Kirsch and Murray Stein, and Science Friction, Jung, Goethe, and Scientific Objectivity in Jung and the Question of Science, edited by Rhea A. Jones. Two Souls Alas, Jung's Two Personalities and the Making of Analytical Psychology, was the 2019 Zurich Lecture Series at the International School of Analytical Psychology. Based on his Ph.D. thesis, the book was later published by Chiron. That book and more are the subjects of our talk today. This interview is being recorded on Wednesday, April 15th, 2020, through the magic of Skype. Hi, Dr. Sabin. Hello. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm, just, I'm getting quite used to this uh, remote um, chatting, uh, having now having to, uh, under present circumstances, having to talk to all my clients uh, via Skype or Zoom or whatever, and uh, and even my teaching at the university is being done that way now. So this has become the new norm. The new norm, yes. And I was going to ask you how things are where you are, and um, during this very uh, unusual time, and and we really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to join us for this episode. Yeah, not at all. I'm, I'm very pleased to be able to do it. I mean, the answer to your question is that things are very quiet. Yeah. Uh, and one gets to enjoy the uh, birdsong and the sounds of spring in a way that I can't remember having done for a while. 
because I live kind of in the city of Oxford, but uh, it doesn't feel like a city at the moment. Things are quiet, yes, and I live in Chicago, and things are are rather quiet here too, and I also notice the birds, although, um, and there, there's uh, downtown Chicago for you, although it snowed overnight, and uh, it's still snowing now, so... Wow. Yeah, I always say that it snows at least once every April. So before we get to your book, I wanted to ask you about the training programs in London. You trained with the independent group. And sure. yeah, and London is kind of unique uh, in that it has five different societies with IAAP accredited training programs. And I was wondering if you would tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I mean this. This uh, this could get very complicated and very boring. So I'll try and keep okay. it simple. Um, but it, it, I mean, it is quite interesting in a way uh, because it 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 tells tells us something about the history of uh, Jungian um, the Jungian world over the last um, sixty odd years. Because um, the the original training originally there was only one training in London, and that was set up by Michael Fordham. And uh, from the very beginning, it was uh, there was a big influence uh, from uh, the psychoanalytic side, especially from the object relations aspect of things. So um, people like Melanie Klein and uh, Donald Winnicott and so on were uh, their thinking was incorporated into the teaching with the Society of Analytical Psychology, as the uh, as the organisation was known, right from the very beginning. And so the so-called London School, uh, uh, from very early on, uh, was inflected by this highly uh, developmental aspect of um, of psychology. Um, and but what happened was that people would also wanted to train in Zurich, so people would go and train in Zurich in the, in a more classical way, and then they'd come back to uh, Britain and they'd and they'd want to belong to the organisation. But there was a tension between the way they'd been taught about Jungian stuff and the way that the people who had trained uh, in London had been uh, had been taught, and uh, there was a there was friction between these 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 two different ways to approach Jung, um, and uh, eventually there was a split, as these things tend to happen, mm -hmm. and the Association of Jungian Analysts was formed. Um, uh, uh, and then after a little while, uh, same thing happened again, except uh, that somebody split off of the Association of Jungian Analysts, and that was the independent uh, uh, group of analytical psychologists, the people that I trained with, uh, and they, they were sort of even further uh, on the spectrum away from the developmental end and in the direction of the more archetypal end, and by now, uh, people like James Hillman were beginning to have an influence, and so there were certain people in that training who were who were interested in in that that end of things, and uh, and then uh, there are a couple of other uh, trainings uh, which have developed. One which uh, uh, originally felt I think that there, there wasn't enough emphasis on the spiritual. Uh, and uh, so the, that became the uh, Guild of Analytical Psychology, as it's now known. Um, and and then I think the other training you're referring to, I, I can't remember the name of it exactly, but it's it, it was it was quite similar to the to the um, 
society of analytical psychology with the up, the up the developmental end. So what it means in effect is is that the whole range of Jungian thinking is represented uh, across these different organisations and these different trainings. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I I mean the, the, just just to bring myself in there the reason I chose to to train with the independent group was because I came to Jung uh, having uh, th- through a kind of Hillman direction so I read a lot of James Hillman before I even started reading Jung and and I, I was fascinated by that aspect of Jungian thinking and so I looked out for a training that would represent that that aspect of things um, but. Uh, I mean, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I, I finished my training, well, getting on for 20 years ago. And uh, I, uh, I um, perhaps now wish that I'd had a training that was not exactly more developmental, but included certain things that, that were rather unrepresented in the training I did, such as an interest in transference and counter-transference. So, you know, everybody develops in the way they do, but uh, but uh, I, I think um, the, the kind of friction between these different organizations, luckily in recent years, has diminished quite a lot. And you mentioned in your intro there that there was this event where, where all five came together um, it's rather like something out of the Godfather. The, the five families came together, right. and uh, and 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 we, we we were polite enough to each other to be able to listen to each other for a little while. And and I think on the whole that the the huge differences in approach have have diminished a lot in recent years. And I think we're all much better at, at listening to 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 the other groups. Would you tell us a little bit about that conference? It was called "Who Is My Young." And you spoke, uh, the title of your talk was Inside Out, Jung's Myth of Interiority, a Conundrum. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, um, uh, I mean, it was, it was an interesting uh, idea for a conference, I think, that that, that, that people would would come, people with, with some history and experience in the Jungian world would come and talk about which Jung uh, was was their inspiration? I suppose mm-hmm. um, that'd be one way to put it. And I think that 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 itself is is quite an interesting way to approach things because, and and this is something I I, I bring out in the book or try, or try to, which is that we all we all have. I mean, it's the essence of the idea of individuation, which I take to be the central notion in Jung psychology. It's the, 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 the central idea of that is that we, we, we all become who we are, that's the goal, and that's going to be different in every case. And the way in which we do that will be different in every case. Um, so uh, uh, th- that, that itself is slightly in tension with uh, a psychology which was so closely based and derived from uh, Jung's own experiences and the way Jung saw things. So there's always going to be this slightly difficult tension between taking on the way Jung saw things and and accepting his way of seeing things and somehow developing one's own individual way of seeing things. Um, and uh, I think that's that's a particularly interesting tension right at the heart of the of, of, of Jungian psychology. Yes. Um, and uh, so, so in a way, the conference drew attention to the fact that we all have different Jungs, 
and that's that's something to be celebrated. Uh, and if we can all come and talk to each other about it, then then you know that's that's great, and and we can all uh, sort of be open to other people's Jungs as well. I mean, you know, what again to come back to another central idea in Jung, uh, the idea of you know his his first uh, uh, the first book he published after his split with Freud was on psychological types, and there he was very much drawing attention to the fact that that everybody sees the world in a different way. And, and it's absolutely essential if you're working with clients or if you're just in the world with people that you recognize that they're not going to be seeing things in exactly the way you see things. Um, so that, that, you know, that, that sort of aspect of things is, is always really crucial. I mean, in the particular um, paper that I delivered there, um, I was um, looking at uh, – um, something which it was a sort of early version of something that that I then wrote up uh, more fully in the book, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, looking at the way in which Jung's outer relationships with people, and especially in that particular talk, I was looking at his relationships with with various women in his life, had in fact played a crucial part in terms of the development of his psychology. Those experiences had really been important. But it felt to me as if um, he hadn't necessarily always uh, acknowledged the extent to which these outer relationships were crucial in, in, in the development of the psychology. Uh, with Jung, there's always a tendency, uh, if not a bias, in the direction of the inner world. Uh, and And so his inner development tends to take priority so if you read memories dreams reflections his memoir he starts that saying you know the only thing this is not going to be a history of all the important people i met and all the places i went to it's a story about my inner world and the development of my inner world um and and that emphasis tends to mean that he downplays uh the importance of his relationships outer relationships with people including these women and as i say so i mean it it, it felt to me important to a to uh, acknowledge that these women had had been important uh, and b to acknowledge that the outer world could be just as fruitful psychologically speaking as the inner world mm-hmm. and we'll get to the book a little later, I just wanted to ask you about some of the other book contributions you've made. There is a book called How and Why We Still Read Jung. Mm. Yeah. And would you tell us a little bit about how and why we still read Jung? (laughs) Wow. I suspect. I mean, you know, coming back to what I've just said, we all, we, we all, we're all drawn to Jung for different right. reasons. We all read him for different reasons, and we all find different things in Jung. And and again, you know, th- th- that that's a strength really in the field in many ways. But it means that sometimes it's not necessarily easy to, for us to talk to each other. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if you found. I mean, you've you've done this. Is did you say this is number sixty of your yeah. of your your interviews? I mean, you must have, you must have come across some pretty contrasting uh, versions of Jung in, in that time. I have, and I would just like to add that that's what this podcast is for. I want analysts to come on here and 
talk about themselves and their work and their training and their lives and why they're interested in Jung. And I'm not here to debate anybody or criticize anybody. And, you know, there's there's so much of that on social media, comments and disagreements. Yep. And I'm not interested in that. We all see things through our lens, our mm. perspective, mm. our history. And I'm open to all of it. Nope. I don't think anybody's right or wrong if you are being true to what you see and you know, what, what your experience was, that's what I'm interested in. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think, I think that's, so, I mean, to come back to your question in terms of, of why and how we read Jung, um, I think that, uh, um, I mean, what I was, what I was particularly interested, uh, in, in, in the piece that I wrote for that was, uh, was the way in which Jung himself, um, it seemed to me, uh, was not shouldn't be uh, uh, approached as being a single thing, you know. So, so that so there isn't in a way one Jung mm-hmm. there. Um, not only are we all coming to Jung in all sorts of different ways, but Jung himself um, was multiple in in many ways. And I particularly drew attention, you know, the name of the of the chapter I wrote was ambigu- ambiguating Jung. Mm-hmm. I particularly was particularly interested in the way in which Jung emphasizes the importance of ambiguity. There's a particular letter where he says that, that, that you know, he, he always tries to write as ambiguously as possible. And the reason for that is because he thinks that's the only way to authentically talk about the psyche, because the psyche is that, so like that. That's, the psyche is always ambiguous. Right. Um, and I think that's an incredibly rich notion. Um, but uh, I then looked more closely at the ways in which uh, Jung, Jung uh, uh, often uh, leaves open, as it were, uh, other other ways to approach anything he's saying. So he very rarely lays down the law, you know, in a dogmatic way about mm-hmm. anything. He'll nearly always leave leave the door open for some other approach there as well. And uh, and sometimes these are almost opposing approaches. I mean, people often say when when reading the collected works of Jung, well, you know, you, you you can find Jung saying one thing in one place and almost the opposite somewhere else, which is absolutely true. But uh, it seems to me that again, that's a kind of strength that because he's allowing for this 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 huge richness of ambiguity. Yes. Um, and uh, I mean, in fact, that 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 idea, and I, I looked there at, uh, and one of the sources for, for for that chapter was was the first three chapters of Memories, Dreams, Reflections, where um, it, uh, where Jung talks specifically about his early years and how he felt that he had two personalities, and um, and that seemed to me to be a very early place where he's acknowledging that there are these two sides to him. And uh, and how important it was to pay attention to both sides. Uh, so that that was that was the really the the kind of seed for what eventually um, came out in in the book uh, uh, years later. Um, that was the beginning of that process of thinking in in those ways. Mm-hmm. And the title of the book contains a quote by Goethe: Two souls, alas." Would you tell us a little bit about why you chose that? Yeah, that's right. Well, I just couldn't. I mean, uh, Jung himself uh, w- was uh, uh, very. I mean, as as again, he says in Memories, Dreams, Reflections, w- was a, a reader of Goethe from very young. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I mean, I think uh, any educated German, German speaker uh, in Jung's day, and it probably even now, uh, would be well acquainted with the works of Goethe. It was obviously a giant in the literary field. But uh, in, in, it's interesting because in, in, in the English-speaking world, we, we, I mean, Goethe is one of, these, one of these people who people often say is untranslatable. You, 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 people obviously have translated Goethe into English, but somehow the magic doesn't, doesn't come mm-hmm. over. Mm. Um, and uh, as a result, I think we're the you know English-speaking world is just not very well acquainted with Goethe. But but for Jung, he was absolutely crucial, and especially uh, this this uh, huge two-part uh, kind of uh, dramatic uh, poem uh, Faust. Um, uh, which he wrote some of fairly early in his life, and then uh, the second part of much later in his life. And and Jung uh, was absolutely fascinated by this poem. But anyway, this this comes quite early in 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 the storyline, and and Faust himself is is expressing the fact that he has two. He feels that he has alas, as he says, two souls in his breast. And uh, one of one of these souls is is very much concerned with the kind of everyday life and and the ordinary um, existence uh, uh, of an ordinary person, and the other is is uh, one could say more concerned with spiritual matters and is 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 sort of facing upwards, as it were. And I'm sure that that when Jung uh, was uh, you know writing about having these two personalities, he certainly had at the back of his mind this 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 notion in in Goethe. I mean, I'm sure Goethe didn't, himself didn't invent it. It's a, in some ways it's a, it's a sort of commonplace mm-hmm. that that we we have you know there there's such a thing as inner conflict, obviously. But I think Goethe takes it a little bit further, and then Jung obviously really runs with it in this this very late work of his Memories, Dreams, Reflections, where he recounts, the, the, you know, how difficult it was for him to have to uh, deal with these quite contrasting, you know, conflicting aspects of himself. Right. Well, t- tell us about that. I mean, Jung yeah. sort of discovered that within himself at an early age. Yes, he did. He did indeed, and and he he, he became aware of the fact that that, uh, that that there was there was as he described. I mean, he in memories and reflections he calls them personality number one and personality number two, mm-hmm. not very imaginatively really. But uh, personality number one for Jung was very much his his himself as an ordinary little boy, uh, and a, you know a boy who was who was uh, you know didn't do his homework and got told off and and. And just got on with things and went to school and had relationships with his parents and so on and so forth. But he was aware of this uh, other personality within him, and and he describes it in in all sorts of ways. Uh, it, it, it seems to have been closely connected to certain rather um, uh, extraordinary experiences he had when he was quite young. One of which was a, 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 a dream he had. Uh, uh, where he uh, went went down into an un- underground cellar and and was and saw a, a sort of enormous phallus on a, on a on a throne there, and uh, there were other experiences. There was one where he sat on a stone. He used to sit on a stone as a little boy and wonder whether he was the person sitting on the stone or whether he was the stone being sat on. And there were various other experiences he had, which he kind of. Um, 
secreted away. He had these these this 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 strong sense of there being a kind of secret inner world that he never told anyone about. Um, uh, in some cases, he didn't tell anyone about them until he wrote this memoir when he was in his eighties or whatever. Um, and uh, and and it felt very important to him to have this world that that somehow was separate from from the uh, the normal world. Uh, of, of his ordinary life and that then developed uh, as he got older into an awareness of what he called God's world and he didn't mean the kind of Christian God uh, which was a God he, he he was found himself being disappointed by Christianity not not really feeling that that, that was you know properly expressing this 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 inner inner thing that he felt this numen a sense of numinosity this word that Jung loves to use a sense that the 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 world uh, is 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 huge and awful and and uh, much much bigger and and more dangerous and 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 more exciting than 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 one can can contain really um, and uh, that 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 this this awareness of, of that world, which was something that he found it very difficult to express to anybody else, mm -hmm. um, and he picked it up originally this idea of two personalities, interestingly, from his mother, because he says his mother, um, who was a woman who who certainly had some had you know mental health problems when she was. Uh, a mature woman and uh, she used to and, and to the extent that she actually had to go away and and uh, for, for um, sometimes weeks at a time uh, in to be you know into into um, uh, mental health in, um, places to, to to recover and so on uh, and obviously that affected Jung you know his mother was, was there one day and not there the next day but uh, he was aware when his mother was there that that she had two different personalities as he described it one again was the ordinary loving um, uh, mother that he was used to but at night he says she turned into something quite different this rather uncanny figure um, who was who was absolutely different and um, uh, I think uh, that, that, that this this sort of um, set the stage for in a way for his own uh, awareness of, of this this um, these, this difference within himself between these two figures, and but the, the important—I mean, you know—I I could I could talk a lot about all the different ways that this showed up in Jung, but for me, the important aspect of this was what he did with it, because he tried to live um, uh, either in one personality or the other, and and when he tried to live in personality number one, he he felt that that didn't work. It was too flat. It was too ordinary. There was there was something missing. But when he tried to live in personality number two, the one that was in God's world, as it were, then it was as if he he disappeared, as if he got sucked into this huge wider world, and uh, and and he also realized that he couldn't really um, continue uh, and develop as a person in the world if he was in that world. Mm -hmm. So um, he eventually came to the conclusion that he needed to um, allow for and pay attention to both of these aspects of himself and allow both of them to be there. Uh, he had to live through personality number one in terms of he had, you know, to having relationships, getting jobs, getting educated, getting out there in the world, and so on, and that was important, and he had to do that. But he, but he, but but he, he, he wanted to make sure that he never betrayed personality number two; that that was somehow always there for him as well, so the two could somehow live together within him, mm -hmm. and, and that seems to be an absolutely crucial uh, awareness in Jung. Which then, you know, to come back to your question, uh, the, 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 this this um, issue of of uh, the um, 
um, the the opposites in in Jung mm-hmm. uh, in Jungian psychology, which is this rather difficult topic. I mean, Jung is often often it's hard to read anything in Jung where he doesn't mention at some point what he calls the problem of the opposites. And it's not always very clear what, what he means by that or how that plays out. But it seems to me that the, the, the kind of uh, crucial early experience that Jung recounts in Memories, Dreams, Reflections shows, gives us some idea of what he's talking about, that, that he needed to live these opposites, these opposite personalities somehow. He needed to allow them to be in contact with each other um, and and if he could do that, then he would he he could move on. He could he could develop and uh, uh, and to use the word that he then himself developed to describe what he was talking about. He could individuate. Mm-hmm. And individuation for Jung is always always involves this question of bringing the opposites together, as he calls it, allowing them into tension with each other, so that this third thing can can emerge. Um, and that sometimes sounds a little bit mystical or a little bit irrational or, or, or mysterious, really. But I think that in, in effect, what he means is that we, we live we live our contradic- contradictions and we allow these these sometimes difficultly different different aspects of ourselves to be uh, to work together. Um, and however hard that may be, and I think it is difficult, that's, that's the recipe for being able to um, uh, move on and, and become, renew ourselves, as it were. So Jung recognized this in himself at a very young age, and mm-hmm. possibly because he saw it in his mother, he was able to see it in himself as well. I'm wondering, do we all have this? Yeah, well, I think that's that's an important question, and and Jung is in Memories Reflections. Jung is very clear about this. He says because he, he 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 can tell already that if he starts talking about himself having had two personalities, loads of people are going to jump in and say, "Well, Jung was clearly bonkers from from an early age and uh, suffered from some sort of dissociation, and this is probably some form of schizophrenia and so on and so forth." Uh, and indeed, he was quite right because uh, Winnicott wrote a famous review of Memories reflections where he said exactly that however Jung himself makes it perfectly clear when he talks about this in memories dreams reflections that he he he's not talking about something pathological here and that that he believes that this is something that we all share in other words it's something that just comes with being human but I mean, it's not immediately apparent what, how, why that should be the case or that that is the case, because uh, we certainly don't all uh, experience having two personalities in the way that Jung describes it. And or, or even, uh, you know, and, and the specific ways in which Jung's two, two personalities show up is certainly not common, I, I would I would think. Okay. Uh, so, so so what does he mean by that? And, 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 and my answer to that is that uh, what he means is that uh, as as life itself always involves us coming up against the other, you know, something that is that is, you know, there's a tendency for us all to be to become one sided, to to play to our strengths, to develop. Uh, to fall in the direction that we're already falling, just to become more of the same, to stay in the kind of safe zone that we know. And uh, uh, it, it, what's required is for individuation is for the other 
to be to be to be us to allow the other in as it were and so the other is the other personality in this case um and and uh, i think the way in which your experience probably was very unusual so i mean certainly not the case that that, that we all uh, experience it in that way but when he says that that's something that's something that we all share I think he means that 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 we all share this the, this need to allow otherness into our lives to be challenged by the other so that we can develop as individuals mm-hmm. and 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 so that we can avoid becoming one-sided. Would you say that we all have this division within ourselves? Sure. And yes, yeah, so I mean, we're, everybody everybody knows what it's like to to be conflicted about something. I mean, that's that's that certainly uh, comes with the territory, I think. Um, but I, I think you know to develop what I was saying. I mean, the way that the, the point is that the the, the 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 easy thing to do is to is to always. Uh, have an answer to that question mm-hmm. uh, you know, so so yes one has a sense well you know i could do that or i could do that but there's always you know one tends to to head in the direction that, that that's most comfortable um and uh whereas if if what what jung did uh or was was forced to do really because of what he was presented with as a child was to was to really acknowledge that there was something else within him as it were so i mean in a way what we're talking about is 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 the, is the division between conscious and unconscious uh because the unconscious is also part of us but it but it presents us with things that we don't necessarily want to be aware of or you know presents us with lines of of thinking that we don't want to go down or lines of, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's often challenging the unconscious. Uh, and, and that's necessary uh, to remind us that we aren't just one thing. Uh, because as soon as we acknowledge that, that there is this other world, there is this other sort of dimension of our psyche, which we could call the unconscious, mm-hmm. then as soon as we're in touch with that, we start meeting these these other inner figures, you know, the other inner figures that Jung met uh, and describes in the Red Book, but which he then goes on to develop as uh, and give the names of shadow, anima, wise old man, all the, all these other sort of inner figures who 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 he uh, itemizes and and who we all um, have the capacity to be in touch with. Uh, within us. So again, these these are these are figures who who are very much not our normal ego mm-hmm. self. Um, uh, and 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 a meeting with these figures can be and often is challenging. And, and mm-hmm. but it's exactly that kind of challenge that Jung encourages us to accept and to take on, because that's the only way to to develop a kind of broader, more more holistic. Uh, psyche. Yeah, these inner figures. And I was wondering if you would say a little bit about how Jung and Jungian analysts don't pathologize these things. And I had a very long road to get to my own Jungian analysis. And that is, I think, the main thing that attracted me to it. And allowed me to stay with it is that my analyst, she would not diagnose me. She didn't pathologize anything I brought to the table. Anything Mm. I brought into the room was not looked at in that way. And that allowed me to accept those things and work with those things. And they weren't medicated away. So would you say something about how 
about the argument that Jung was schizophrenic or he was you know crazy and yeah i mean um i mean i in terms of what you just said i couldn't i couldn't agree more i mean i think that has to be uh, that kind of acceptance of 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 everybody just as they are is absolutely crucial mm-hmm. um, uh, and uh, and you know because because the 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 pathologizing perspective is the perspective of uh, from an individual point of view is the perspective of the ego and and uh, writ large it's the perspective of the kind of normalizing um, uh, institutionalizing kind of aspect of cult of our culture uh, that says this is normal and this is not um, uh, and and that's absolutely to, I mean it's very much it's impossible not to be affected by that of course but the, the as you say it's incredibly refreshing to 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 find oneself in a in a therapeutic relationship where where everything is accepted that there mm-hmm. is no there is no, 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 nothing is 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 dismissed uh, or or considered to be uh, uh, you know less than who you are. Um, uh, so so that's absolutely necessary. Yes, in terms of Jung and the pathologizing of Jung, uh, I I have really. I mean, there I think there are two two aspects to this. One one is that it seems to me that someone who d- describes himself as having you know, in the period where where we're, where we're, some people would tell us that he had a kind of psychotic breakdown, uh, i.e., the period of the Red Book, um, and uh, uh, in the wake of the split with with Freud. Um, now, of course, that was an extremely challenging time for him, and it was a very difficult time. There's no questioning that. But it doesn't make sense to me to describe that as a psychotic breakdown. I've I've dealt with uh, clients who have have been through psychotic breakdowns, and uh, the, we're not talking about people who could maintain a, a normal working life during the day and then go off and have uh, dreams and visions at night. Mm. You know, it doesn't work that way. He's very clear in memories, dreams, reflections. He he kept up a perfectly normal working life throughout this period, and indeed, it was absolutely essential for him to do that to maintain his feet on on solid ground as it were so that he could then go and explore the unconscious uh uh, uh the rest of the time um and 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 you know to, to, to so it doesn't make any sense for me on the one hand to to even describe that as as any form of psychosis um uh but it, 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 the other side of that is that it tends to be used as a way to dismiss what Jung was doing, yes, uh, and and uh, I, that's that's just not helpful because because what he was doing was exploring this this whole world of otherness and and allowing these you know making a space as it were emptying a stage for these figures to come onto them and for him to meet them and 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 learn from them uh, and and he was. Uh, you know, going out of his way to to um, make sure that his ego didn't dominate, didn't didn't insist uh, on on what what the you know the way things were, and he, so he allows this stuff to come out of the unconscious. Um, now he doesn't he doesn't just lie down as it were and, and let it be. He doesn't he doesn't say ah the unconscious is here. You know I, I I'll bow down to it and it it will tell me exactly how things are. If you read the red book, he's constantly arguing with these figures. He's mm-hmm. engaging with them. Um, so it's it's a very much a kind of to and fro process. 
And again, you know, to bring it back to the two personalities, it seems to me this is the place where you see him getting to the point where the two personalities are not just coexisting, they're actually interrogating each other, they're working on each other, they're, you know, the tension, the con contradictions between them are being worked out. Uh, and and he comes out of the whole experience a different person from the person he went in. Um, and and that's why that then becomes the kind of his model for individuation. Uh, but there's nothing, uh, you know, there's nothing pathological about that. Uh, it, it could have gone, and he's very clear about this. He says he could, if he hadn't done this, if he hadn't allowed these figures to come up, if he hadn't talked to them and, and allowed all this to happen, then he would have been in trouble. Mm -hmm. Because then he'd have been repressing something that needed to happen. Mm -hmm. um, that's so. So I think the point he he makes really very clearly is that it is that, is that what's pathological here is not having a multiplicity within your psyche. That's 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 just the way it is. We all have the capacity to connect with all sorts of different aspects of ourselves. That's just just there. Uh, what's what's pathological is is when those parts can't speak to each other. When there's no contact between them, where one is split off, compartmentalized, um, separated from the other, and then then you start getting into trouble. That's that that's that's what you know. That's when things go wrong, and that's at the you know, the point where either you, you're getting into a kind of neurotic situation uh, where certain um, unconscious things come through in in a, in a, 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 what seems to the ego to be a. Uh, annoying and, and frustrating way, or even worse, uh, the unconscious bursts through uh, and and overwhelms the psyche. And in the case of psychosis, but these these so I mean clearly there are such things as uh, you know pathological experiences. But this is what happens when one doesn't allow for this exactly the sort of multiplicity within the psyche that Jung was encouraging. Mm -hmm. So what would you tell people who might be listening to this and are recognizing that very thing within themselves and don't know what to do with it. Yes, well, it's it's very uh, frightening, um, of course, to 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 as it were become aware of something within you that you don't know, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, it, it you know I mean I think you know one of the great examples of this is 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 uh, hearing voices. Uh, and and of course, you know that that you know within the kind of medical model, this is a classic uh, uh, sign of of something going horribly wrong. But I think the truth is that that uh, and I've read some research on this that an enormous number of people uh, often hear voices mm -hmm. as it were and often reply to those voices and have inner conversations or even outer conversations when they're on their own without it being. Uh, a, uh, a pathological event. It doesn't mean they're mad. Doesn't mean they're going to be going to go mad. It just means that they're in touch with something within themselves. And the whole process of what what Jung eventually calls active imagination is really just that. It's a conversation. It's an inner conversation you have with something within you. Um, so uh, you know the, the, these these are relatively normal kind of ways of dealing with things. And so nobody nobody should be afraid to um, allow 
um, the otherness within, as it were, to come up. Um, uh, and and, and it, 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 if you can allow that to be there, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying that you should be allowed up to overwhelm things, uh, but to be there enough to, to start a conversation with it. This is the crucial thing is the kind of dialogical aspect of this. Uh, that, that, that you're, as it were, your ego, because Jung is very emphatic about this, the ego is only part of the psyche. Mm -hmm. It's the part that we tend to ex consciously experience our lives through, but it's not the whole picture. And and so that's the part of one that through which one can make contact with these other these other parts and then give them their voice and allow the, and, and try and hear what they have to say. Because in a way, this is what, what, what happens every night in our dreams, you know, uh, the the ego part of ourselves is is the the, the sort of you know the half the, the figure of me if I dream you know the me in the dream that's the ego but I'm constantly meeting with all these other figures in dreams and talking to them and all sorts of things are happening and you know dramatically in terms of uh, what plays out between us and uh, so this is perfectly normal this is this is what 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 occurs within the psyche all the time on on one level so we're just talking about bringing it more into consciousness really and finding out what 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 this other part of oneself has to say for itself mm -hmm. it doesn't mean again that you bow down before it and say oh well i will always do what the unconscious has to say you know it's it's a genuine dialogue it's a genuine conversation uh, it's a negotiation if you like and so you're referring here to the personal unconscious. What about the collective unconscious? How did that factor into Jung's personality number two? Well, I I I have trouble with with this separating out the personal okay. unconscious and the and the collective unconscious because it seems to me that that it's not always it's quite rarely easy to see. Uh, you know, it's it's it, theoretically there are these two different kind of regions, but in practice. Uh, I don't. I don't find it so much. Okay. Uh, uh, and um, so, for example, you know, one has dreams which, uh, in which, uh, say, um, one 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 dreams of of someone that one knows, or of a family member, and so, or so, and so on and so forth. But. That doesn't mean that the that the meaning of the dream is 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 kind of reduced to uh, the personal, the purely personal. I think that there's always an archetype, even however sort of ordinary as it were, the setting of the dream may be. There's always an archetypal aspect to it, mm -hmm. and vice versa. However, arch apparently archetypal the dream may be, uh, there's always you know one. It's it's impossible to make sense of the dream if one doesn't introduce a personal aspect to it. So uh, I, I tend to see you know I think the the work in in working with dreams uh, and and psychologically generally is to see the personal through the archetypal and the archetypal through the personal. Uh, and and to and to allow the two again to work on each other in a sense. Uh, you mentioned that this theme of Jung's two personalities haunted everything he wrote. Yeah, that's that's pretty well my thesis, really. Um, uh, and and uh, it it tends it, it it shows up. I mean, you know, just just to, to start from the beginning, really. I mean, as I as I said earlier, the the first book. He wrote after the split with with Freud is on psychological types, mm -hmm. and and the, the you know if you look at the you know the, there's this the, the famous bit towards the end where he work he describes all the types one by one, but the vast majority of the book is looking at different aspects of culture and literature in which two different sides come up 
and and offer different perspectives and the way in which these perspectives contrast and conflict with each other. And that seems to me to be, you know, he's, he's taken this idea of, of these two different uh, inner aspects, these two different personalities, and he's already finding, you know, looking at the ways in which this shows up uh, throughout literature and culture and, and the individual psyche. Um, and then uh, as, as, it, as the psychology goes on, uh, there's hardly, I don't think there's any area of, of his psychology where this, in, the importance of bringing together the opposites, as I've mm. said, doesn't doesn't come up. It just it just recurs again and again. It's absolutely central, for example, to the to his work with alchemy. Um, uh, there, the the opposites are all. You know, the work of, of alchemy is is about bringing. You know, it's about creating the conjunctio, as he calls it, and the conjunctio is the bringing together of. Uh, the bride and the bridegroom, as it were, um, uh, and this is the the kind of imagery that you get in 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 alchemy. But these are the opposites again. Uh, these are the two personalities, if you like, coming through in in yet another form. So I wouldn't, I don't want to reduce it to the notion. Of, I'm not saying this is not a kind of reductive biographical point. I'm not saying that the, everything in Jung's psychology uh, came about just because he had this experience as a young person. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that the, the the way in which he f- dealt with that particular tension in childhood was hugely uh, influential in in terms of w- w- where the ways in which he approached and the problems that he saw uh, occurring um, in in uh, the development of the psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, and of course the other thing is is is, is one has to remember that that, that Ed, although he, in memories of his reflections he's talking about his experience as a child in the book when he's talking about the two personalities he's writing the book at the very end of his life so he's looking back over he you know he's well aware of yeah. the development of his own psychology and I, and my feeling is that what he's doing there in a way he's offering he's offering that story of the two personalities as a kind of fable almost to illustrate to help us understand this kind of central red thread that runs through his psychology and what it's about and what it goes back to and how it connects mm-hmm. um, and 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 it offers a kind of lens in a way to to go back to the psychology and see how it all coheres because because i think that this 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 is in a way you know because it is in effect the idea of individuation the idea of individuation is that you allow um uh the opposites to come together and that moves you on to the next level and then and then the same process happens again that moves you on to the next level and so forth you know this what he calls the transcendent function is this process whereby uh one uh, incorporates and, and allows for and dialogues with the opposites and uh, and eventually in in a, in, a, in a sort of irrational way something uh, you 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 open up into the next level and you begin to be able to see things in a different way and and that that process is is the central process in his psychology i think all all the other aspects of it you know the the complexes the archetypes typology alchemy synchronicity they they all fall into place as as ways in which this central process uh can be illustrated ways in which they it it, it is seen to be working as it were so if somebody hears this, bring the opposites together, yeah. would you give us an example of, I mean, I know we've been talking about that this whole time, but 
What would you say to somebody that is aware of these opposites within and says, well, what do you mean bring them together? What am I supposed to do? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is that, is that uh, it, 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 it tends not to work that way in as much as, the, you know, the, the, the opposites, uh, this, this, this is a process which tends to happen. It's already happening before you notice it, as it were. So you don't need, you don't need to, you know, the problem is already there in a sense. So first of all, you're presented with a problem. So, um, uh, you know, what, you know, the most, perhaps the most kind of uh, simplest uh, example I can come up with is, is, is the problem of shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody uh, you know, is aware of the fact that there are aspects of our personality and and parts of, of ourselves that we're not entirely pleased with, that we don't really want other people to know about, we're a bit ashamed of, we don't really like, we'd rather they weren't there, and so on and so forth. And and we've all had dreams where um, we're um, persecuted by some some person or some monster or some thing or some nameless dread or whatever, and and these are these these are all in one f- form or another uh, the, the the way that the shadow works and the shadow the shadow presents itself to us uh, as a problem as it were. And 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 I think what Jung is saying that 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 rather than run you know in the dream the tendency tends to be to run away from these or you know you 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 try and close all the doors and windows you know this this horrible thing that's trying to get in you try and keep it out or if you if you're out outside and you're being followed by something you try and run away you try and escape and of course that's exactly what the ego always wants to do it wants to get away from from the from this this threatening thing whatever it is but if you can find a way to stop, turn around and engage this thing in, in the kind of dialogue and, and negotiation that we've been talking about, that begins a process of uh, opening, uh, opening oneself up to uh, allowing the possibility that there might be something here which is not just negative. See, that's, that's, that, that's you know, one needs to move beyond the, the notion that that uh, you know, uh, you need to protect yourself against this horrible negative thing, because uh, the, the the paradox here is is that that, that the, what you're trying to protect from this desperately needs it. That the un- what comes from the unconscious is exactly what the ego always needs. It's just that it resists it like hell. It really doesn't want to know about this, and it doesn't want to be presented with it because it's a threat to the ego. Uh, to the to the control of the ego, if you, if you like, and and so in this case, the opposite comes in the form of the shadow, uh, and and there, uh, what Jung suggests is not that we 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 uh, allow ourselves to be taken over by shadow, but that if we can start to negotiate, start to talk to shadow, start to allow it to be there a bit to find out what it wants if you like if this was a fairy tale you'd be you'd be asking it what what do you want what what you know what 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 what's your goal here what what are you looking for and then you you're beginning to open yourself up to the idea that there might be something in this shadow that has something to offer mm-hmm. that can, and and once you take on that this 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 the uh, this that that aspect of this new perspective that changes the way 
you are changes the way you act in the world. So, in the, so just to give a, a very brief example, in the case of shadow, you know, it may be, for example, that your one is for all sorts of familial or cultural reasons terrified of anger, and and you do your best to avoid situations where anyone's angry, and the last thing you want to be is angry because you think it's terribly destructive. Maybe you had childhood experiences where it was terribly destructive, but eventually, if you can get to the point where you can start you know allowing a bit of anger into your life you find that it's exactly what you need because we all need to be able to utilize uh, and employ uh, anger at the right moments and in the right way uh, because it gives us a bit of ballast in life it, it gives us a bit of three-dimensionality in in our dealings with the world and with people and uh, so, you know, that's the kind of way in which you, the, you see the perspective gets changed by the introduction of the opposite and and allowing it in uh, to 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 and, and you know and that process widens out, broadens, opens up our psyche. I would like to go back to something you had said earlier in chapter four of your book. Again, the name of the book is. Two Souls, Alas, Jung's Two Personalities and the Making of Analytical Psychology. It was published in 2019 by Chiron. In chapter four, you look at Jung's relationships with a series of women, and you had mentioned that earlier. I was wondering if you would say a little bit more about that. I know that there's a lot of interest and a little bit of confusion around the various women that Jung had in his life. Why did you write about that in this book? Yeah, well, I didn't. I, I mean, it, the danger here is that one kind of lumps all these women in together, and obviously, they're, 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 although they're, they're very, very different people. I mean, the, the women in question are really uh, who I look at in the chapter are first of all um, the, the the Jung's cousin Helena Preiswerk, who was uh, 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 when when he was uh, I think at university, she was fifteen years old, and she. Um, uh, had a certain amount of ability as a medium, and Jung was fascinated by this and and arranged all sort of seances with her. Um, and eventually, the whole thing fell to pieces. But but it was an extremely uh, important event for Jung, and he later wrote it up as his doctoral dissertation. Yeah. Um, and uh, the relationship with with Helena Price work is is the first relationship I look at. Th- then there's another important relationship. Uh, now I'm, I'm I'm putting I'm I'm aware of the fact that that um, the, the relationship with his wife. Um, uh, uh, I uh, I don't include in this these this particular list of relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I could you know talk at length about this, but just I, I, this is in no way is that uh, am, am I kind of uh, diminishing uh, Emma Young, uh, who was obviously a crucially important figure in his life. But there's something about their particular erotic uh, connection that was developed with with a series of women that I concentrate on here. And the second of these women was uh, Sabina Spielrein, who uh, famously uh, Jung either did or did not have an affair with. Uh, mm-hmm. In the film version, he did, and that's the version everyone likes to likes to know about. But right. it's 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 not conclusively proved that that was the case. But nonetheless, he clearly had had a, a very intimate relationship with her. Um, then there was a, a much less well-known woman called Maria Maltza, um, who was uh, in the Jung circle uh, um, around the time of the First World War and before. 
um, and uh, and and then finally um, uh, Tony Wolf, who did in become Jung's mistress, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and and who was an extremely important figure in around the time of the Red Book. And what I what I do in, in, in this chapter is look closely at the actual outer relationships, as it were, that Jung uh, maintained with these women, and, and which are all fascinating. Um, in nearly every case, obviously not in the case of Helena Price's work, but in the other cases, they all start as patients of Jung's, but then he they develop into a, a rather different kind of relationship. Um, and uh, where there's where there's enormous intimacy, often a, a great de degree of mutuality and reciprocity, uh, in several of these cases, Jung, dis uh, th th there seems to have been something going on, which is which was almost as if the kind of therapeutic relationship was reversed, and at various times these women acted as an analyst to Jung and allowed him to to work on his stuff through them, as it were. Um, now there's there's not a vast amount of material to work on with with, with some of these uh with some of these women but but there's enough i think to, to 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 see a certain pattern emerging um but what i was uh, uh, and there's no question these these women were all extremely uh important to him and they all uh had their own uh, abilities uh, and 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 were original in their own way and developed their own ideas uh, Sabina Spielrein's ideas um, were, were were sort of neither Freudian nor Jungian in a way, and she became uh, quite an important figure in her own right um, uh, later on. But at this stage, uh, she was she was kind of taking Jung's ideas and working them through, and 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 t and bringing them back to Jung and changing them. And there was and Jung certainly, uh, you know, and he was quite upfront about this in a letter that he later wrote to her. He explained that that, that she'd uh, enabled him, and the relationship with her had enabled him to make to understand certain crucial psychological things that otherwise he wouldn't have been able to do. Um, so so. And, and and really with these other women too that you know a similar kind of thing seems to have happened and um i think this is fascinating and i think that uh, uh so w w but what's clearly going on is there is a, a, a complete intertwining of the personal relationship between them and a kind of development of a kind of theoretical ideas around it psychological ideas so the development of his psychology and the development of his relationships uh, are very closely intertwined together there, mm. and and uh, which, which is you know in a way not altogether surprising. But what what is what is slightly disappointing in a way is that Jung um, never really acknowledges the importance of these relationships when he finally develops the ideas and puts them into into uh, the collective works and so on uh, he he you know that he will acknowledge a little bit he, he acknowledges that maria Maltzer, for example influenced the way he uh, came up with the idea of the intuitive function in typology um, but uh, so he doesn't completely ignore them but on the whole there's very little uh, acknowledgement of how important they were, and it seems to me that that's uh, it's you know this isn't this isn't this is interesting not just because it's uh, important that uh, you know male scientific discoverers should acknowledge uh, the women in their lives, which is certainly true and historically hasn't been done enough, but more importantly 
that it, it points to us a kind of one-sidedness in the direction of the inner development uh, of things and the emphasis on the inner in Jungian psychology. I think Jung was an introvert by, by nature, and he tended to be much more at home in that world than he was in the outer world. And, uh, and, and that means he was more at home in a way with personality number two, as I described it, than he was with personality number one. And I think what he tended to do was, was almost um, uh, take advantage of these relationships and utilize them for his own purposes. I wonder if perhaps it's because those re- relationships were private they were deeply personal and they were private. And I wonder if maybe he didn't speak about them much because yes. of that. I'm sure that's true. And there's no question. I mean, and for example, with Tony Wolf, there was a, there are other important factors, such as the fact his family, you know, didn't want to him wanted you know the world to know about his relationship with with Tony Wolf. Uh, so so clearly, you know, there, there there are all sorts of other reasons as well. And you no, know, that's certainly true. And and what I, I'm not uh, what I would never expect from Jung is that he details uh, personal uh, private uh, aspects of any of these relationships. But but. Um, it, I think one of the uh, important factors in, in Jungian psychology is, is that uh, I think as Sonu Shamdasani, the historian of, of, of um, Jungian psychology, has described it, um, Jung uses his personal experiences, you know, it, it, uh, they're paradigmatic for him. They're, 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 they're exemplary. He, he, all his ideas come from his personal experiences and the way in which those experiences develop therefore is very important in terms of understanding the ideas themselves and 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 i what i think is a pity is is that he doesn't acknowledge how uh i mean again i'm not expecting uh, uh i'm not expecting him to detail personal or private details but but i think what we would what would be helpful would be to hear from him that one can uh, achieve uh, uh, important psychological developments through outer relationships because on, because one can sometimes get the impression that individuation is a purely inner process mm-hmm. and that you do on your own and then you come back to your relationships whereas whereas it, it seems crucial to emphasize uh, how important outer relationships can. I mean, of course, and it should be obvious because it's the outer relationship with the therapist that is so important mm-hmm. in terms of uh, Jungian therapy. Yeah. So it's, you know, there's nothing uh, particularly surprising there, but it would it would be nice to hear that a bit more uh, from Jung, I think. I can't see myself without others. And, exactly. Right, exactly. And, and very difficult relationships in my life are the most valuable thing I've ever had um, as far as my personal development. Yeah, I think, and, and, and uh, I think that's, that's absolutely right. And, and of course there are places where Jung does exactly say things a bit like that. Mm-hmm. So it's not that he never says that. It's just that the general tendency is sometimes gives the impression that if you want to individuate, you just go away to a room somewhere on your own and, and commune with your inner in a stuff, and then later you go back and go right. back to the world. And it's just not like that. Please visit the website, Speaking of Jung, that's J-U-N-G dot com, for more information on everything that was discussed in this episode.
There you will also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to stream or to download for free. This podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also listen to this episode on your Amazon Echo device, simply by saying, Alexa, play Speaking of Jung on Apple Podcasts, or tune in. Just be sure to pronounce Jung with a hard J. So with special thanks to Chiron Publications, Steve Buser, and Murray Stein, this is Laura London, and you've been listening to Speaking of Jung. Speaking of Jung